ESPN Audio and the undefeated proudly partner in the intersection where sports and social justice meet. Now alongside L. Duncan, here's Clinton Yates. It's a busy Thursday, kiddos. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. Of course, alongside me is L. Duncan. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests on the show appear via the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. You can tweet us at Clinton Yates and at L. Duncan ESPN. You might be familiar with my work as a columnist for The Undefeated. You might be familiar with getting banged out by me on Twitter, okay? Don't try me today. I've had a tremendous week. You know L from SportsCenter and Around the Horn and HQ and various other ESPN properties. How are you today, L? I'm doing great because as a Broncos fan, it gave me so much petty happiness to watch on banner night, like 3,000 Chiefs fans sort of be like, Ooh, when the banner was raised. I thought that was amazing, Clinton. <laughs> All right. It's time for Straight Talk brought to you by Straight <laughs> Let's Talk go. Wireless. <laughs> Let's get to it. The NFL is kicked off. The Texans are up 7-0 right now. There's the game that's happening on the opening Thursday. But, of course, there's the larger issue, and this is the question. How do you feel about the NFL's social justice plan, and is the league doing enough? 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. For me – This starts in a simple place that goes back to my stance from the beginning, which is if you ask me, is the league doing enough? I would have told you from the beginning that the league was doing a little too much. And I mean that in this context. The league is not necessarily the players. What the league represents, whether you want to talk about Goodell, the commish, or the owners, is a completely separate matter for me than what the players are choosing to do. So let's be clear about what we're talking about when we're just throwing out the NFL. The league and the players are different. Now, if I'm the league, I think the league is doing too much because the league was not letting the players do what they wanted to do. So in this case, we see players coming out talking about voter registration. We see players that have taken various demonstration stances in the beginning of this game that happened tonight, although my screen did go black for a couple seconds twice. Didn't love that. So whatever's going on there, I don't know. My point is this. What the league needs to do is less in order to let the players do more, Al. Yeah, well, what's funny to me is like when you say the league's doing too much, the first thing I thought of was lift every voice and sing, which I have said from the very beginning I just find to be so incredibly performative and something that's a pacifier. Nobody asked for that. Like nobody said when we're asking for you to like stop killing us and to have education reform and criminal justice reform, like here's our solution with our billions of dollars of cash and clout. We'll have lift every voice played because I got to be honest, despite all this buildup, Clinton, I watched the beginning of the game. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I imagine that they aired it. I think Alicia Keys based on Twitter sung it. I didn't see it at all. So yeah, I feel like they're trying to do a little bit like uh, what they decided to do in the Senate when they all dress in Kente Claus for absolutely no reason, when, again, nobody asked for this. Guess you don't got to pay royalties on Negro spirituals. You're listening to The Intersection <laughs> on ESPN Radio. It's a public domain. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan. By the way, NFL end zones were inscribed, at least today, with two slogans. It takes all of us on one end line and end racism on another. I saw a tweet on Twitter that said love wins is going to be next, but that's a whole other story. Um, The league is also allowing decals on the back of helmets and patches on team caps displaying names or phrases to honor victims of racism and police brutality, a la NBA. But the voting thing is a big one here, L, because, I I mean, look, I think the voter registration is a big deal in terms of what people allow themselves to do in order to operate in a civic society and, you know, operate their civic right in society. I also happen to think that probably allowing more voters 
to vote in their spaces is more useful. That's my personal opinion. How do you feel about that in terms of where the NFL is right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think to your point, I, there was a little bit of shock to me that it really had never been floated before, this idea that you would use some of these arenas and stadiums, if we're going, if we're extending that to the NBA, to have voting because, again, they tend to be in urban areas where we tend to see the most voter suppression, right? And this is really right. all kicked off by the Atlanta Hawks who decided to do this uh, a month and a half ago or so because, well, frankly, they were the basis of so much voter suppression this year and then – we saw again uh, with Brian Kemp being elected that there was mass voter suppression there as well with a report that just came out allegedly this week. Um, so I think that's important. And, and I know we're going to talk to LZ Granderson about this coming up in a little bit, but I guess the idea that I, I had a visceral reaction to the NBA players say, admitting that maybe 20% of them are registered to vote. I know that in college we sort of saw Trevor Lawrence uh, speak out with some of their demands or what they'll be focused on this week in terms of social justice and making sure that there was broad sweeping voter registration on all the college teams and on campuses was important. I'm really wondering for you, though, at what point, because, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, we can hit you with the every vote counts, and that's very true. At the end of the day, you're talking about maybe a couple of thousand people when it comes to NBA and NFL players. I wonder at what point do you sort of take that the next step and pull a LeBron and really rally behind a candidate and actually go and advocate and push for some of these candidates that you want to see affect change. Is that something that you think is the natural progression to what we're seeing now? I think we're going to see a lot of players do that in their post-playing careers okay. more quickly than we did later. So if you see, I don't know, just to think of a name out of a hat, Paul Pierce, who's on our network, or even like a Jalen Rose, mm-hmm. these guys have been out of the league for a while. you know. And I love Jalen, friend of Paul's. Um, but I think we're looking at a situation now where, say somebody retires, let's say LeBron retires in mm-hmm. three years. Let's just say, L.A., you're listening, I know. Let's just say LeBron runs straight rings and decides he's going to hang it up and immediately says, here's who I'm backing. I-, I think that's a different situation than an in-career player actually getting to all that because it just feels like it's a lot. You know, just in terms it does. of being able okay. to be at the highest level and actually do things. I think that if you look at what we're going to do Overall, and by we, I mean America, in terms of getting, you know, I don't know, a better better grasp on this, I don't think that happens for guys during their playing careers. I think it's just asking too much. You know, I, I just I just really think it do. It is. Anyway, quick NFL update. Mahomes TD pass to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, by the way, one of the better dressed men in the NFL. 7-7 right there. Um, some of the things that happened today, the Texans stayed in their locker room for both anthems. The Chiefs players locked arms. Alex Okafor knelt and put up a fist. I didn't see any of that on my TV, by the way. I did so, see that. I did see there's that. There's that. Okay. Yeah, right. I saw that part. I did. Because I was like, who's the lone chief uh, that's taking a knee? And, and Twitter sleuths helped me figure out who that was. You know who else? And there was no booze, which I think is uh, significant as well. Because sure we, that? right? Well, at sure least that's, that. well, I think they, they booed the Texans. Now, that could have been because the Texans chose to stay in the locker room or because it's I just mean, the Texans <laughs> and it's enemy territory, right? Like, you really don't convenient. know. Uh Exactly. Like it could, it could go either way. Are you surprised that we didn't see a more visceral reaction? And Clinton, do you think that we're going to see more people empowered to demonstrate during the anthem simply because there won't be fans in the stands, but at least at eight stadiums? No, I'm not surprised. This was the whole thing that I was saying from the beginning. They should have just let people do what they want off the rip because it's not like people would have revolted in the stands. They're there to see football. If they got a deal with some brothers kneeling, they were going to do it. They might complain (laughs) online. 
You know what I'm saying? But then right. I got to leave a football game. Uh-huh, somebody did. You know what I mean? En masse. Because that's what they think should be happening outside of the football field. That wasn't real. You know? And so now that they're in a situation in which they don't have a choice because this is the only way they're going to see it, of course not. And I think guys will be more empowered. But I think more importantly, they'll be less disillusioned about what is actually going to feel reasonable as opposed to necessarily everything being so daggone rebellious. It's not an act of rebellion to demonstrate the United States of America. The first act of rebellion was to allow for that second act to not be a rebellion. Like, what are we Preach. talking about here? So, Preach. You know, I, anyway, just don't get me started on this, but it's a whole other thing. So, coming up. The plight of the black quarterback in the NFL. We're going to break that thing down from a fundamental standpoint because we got two playing in the game tonight. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. Right next to me is L. Duncan. The show is presented by Progressive Insurance. And all guests on the program appear via the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Right now, this time, in fact, really this time, this time, it's time for Straight Talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Okay, so look. Y'all know what we bring on this program. You know, we like to, you know, we're, we're, we're co-presented by the undefeated. You know, so we bring the blackness. That's not, that's, not, that's not even a question. And the reason I bring that up is because this season, last season was the year of the black quarterback. This season, we see this game right now happening Chiefs tied uh, 7-7 with the Texans, Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who are two black quarterbacks in the league, but we have a plethora of them at this point, you know? And so there's a lot of different things that can be said in which the world of the black quarterback does not exist with the same monolith that it did once in the league. Cam Newton is not expected to be the same guy as a Pat Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson or even – you know, I don't know, a tie rod or whoever, you know, we are not, we don't look at this the same way. So when one guy comes out and says something that's a little different, well, we break that thing down. So that's what we're going to do right now. So that's the question. Do you agree with Deshaun Watson's, Watson's assertion that the outside world doesn't respect a black quarterback when he speaks out on social issues? So let's get to these, let's get to these uh, clips first. Yep. And then I'll get your thoughts. First off, Watson on being a black QB and voicing his opinion. Honestly, I, I think, I think you have to watch what you say sometimes. Um, and I feel like the honestly, I'm gonna take that back. I feel like to keep it real with you, I feel like whenever a black quarterback, especially, speaks up, um, the outside world sometimes don't think they're educated enough to know what's going on. I'm very confident in, in the knowledge that I know about just life uh, issues, um, the the power that I have when I speak, and just me growing outside of football. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. One last thing from Watson. He says a change is coming. A change is happening. This is the first time I feel like my voice, I can say whatever I need to say and get it off my chest, and it's going to, you know, spark a movement. Al Duncan, your thoughts? There's an ESPN cover story on my man. Where are you at on this? Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting because I, I read this story yesterday from Tim Kewen and I thought it was such a fantastic story. And the excerpts that you just heard were part of the Zoom conversation that Tim had um, in order to sort of, you know, obviously get the quotes from this article. But I do think it's r- worth reading the article. And I ended around the horn today when I won, humble brag, uh, wow. with this because it really it, it struck out to me 
when Tim was sort of trying to assess based on his conversation with Deshaun why now was the time and why he was always so sort of hesitant to speak out when he was a member of the Clemson Tigers and and when he uh, was in with currently with Houston and and it says he struggled to push back against the system because he benefited from it and any criticism he might offer lands on the ears of the benefactors as a betrayal. And that resonated with me so much, and I'm sure for you as well, Clinton, because one of the ways that um, racists or sort of doubters, if you will, or detractors criticize us is by saying things like, well, okay, Clinton, maybe you face racism. Seems to work out well for you. You're on television. You seem to have done okay. Uh, I expressed how my Tuskegee Airman grandfather fought bravely for his country and then came home and wasn't, you know, served a meal at the front of a restaurant. And they were like, and now his granddaughter's a millionaire on ESPN. I think he's okay. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know how much any of us actually make if you think I'm a millionaire, Jesus. Um, and also, it's it's always used to weaponize us. And I thought that it was just so significant because Deshaun really speaks about the idea that he fully understands. Like, he doesn't, he never wanted to come off as ingrateful. And that's what we're always expected to do, Clinton, is sort of take this high road and say, like, I'm so grateful and I'm so glad. But what about the our, our people in our community that didn't have the gift of gab or didn't have the ability to be a superstar NFL talent like Deshaun Watson they're still there and they're still facing these inequities and we're still whether it's aggressions aggressions or microaggressions facing some of these things in our own jobs and still having to explain why we are successful and explain how we got here and undoubtedly it's because we're black or because we're trying to fill some quotient so it really resonated with me what he's grappling with Deeply triggering to hear you say what you just said. And I mean that in the kindest way because it happens all the time. You're right. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, Clinton Yates, L. Duncan. And the reason why is because, I mean, I can't believe I'm getting into the sociology of this right now. We shouldn't be grateful for nothing, okay, except for our lives, which we deserve based on our humanity. The rest is earned. That's how that works, okay? So that if somebody happens to be a successful human being in life, it's because they were given, hello, look at that, equal opportunities to succeed, okay? And when they do it, to turn and say, oh, you should be grateful. Well, grateful for what? The opportunity to pursue something the same way that anybody else might? Because that doesn't seem to be something that everybody else is that grateful of or for. You know what I mean? It seems it's something that people are just mad about when it doesn't get to the success level that they wanted to. It doesn't make sense to tell somebody they should be grateful in that scenario when we're getting murdered in the streets by the very agents of the state who you say we should be grateful for for protecting us to begin with. Which one's it going to be? You know, that's the thing about all this is that none of the logic necessarily adds up the same way. So with Watson, look, it is very difficult because it's not just that he didn't feel personally like he wanted to delve into those waters but the clemson factor is major here sure south carolina you have been to south carolina y'all they brag about being the richest colony in all of america back when we were in the colony systems if you don't know what that means that means that they were just working us harder than everybody else okay it's a weird place. And so the environments that people are in, they affect the people's decisions in terms of what they can communicate and how they can express themselves. So I understand where Deshaun is coming from, just from a personal safety level. So when you sit back and you ask a black person, oh, it looks like you're doing all right. Well, you know what? That's a matter of success. OK, not luck or anything else. That means people have achieved something and that should be commended, not mocked. Getting upset about this. Though. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it upsets me too. It really does. Because again, this idea that you're somehow, um, you know, look at Messiah Jiri, like this idea that you can be as wildly successful as he is, be an executive, have that kind of credential around your neck, be wearing that uh, that priced suit and still, you know, be treated like a, you know what, when you try right. to just go onto the court and like, I, you know, it, it, I love Charles Barkley. It, it really hurt me when I heard him say to me on sports under the, like LeBron doesn't know what he's talking about because he doesn't have to mm-hmm. face the same kinds of things that other people have to face. And that felt really unfair just because, I mean, LeBron is a poor black kid from Akron, Ohio. No doubt he had to right. face those things. Sure. He's got a certain amount of cachet now. Everybody in the world knows who LeBron is but this idea that you cannot speak out for your community that you can't vote against your own financial interests that you can't do any of these things um or you're deemed a hypocrite it's just so incredibly dangerous when you've got a president who is a sometimes we believe billionaire pretending like he is of the blue collar way which is absolutely laughable so i just you know it's it's frustrating as a black person it resonated with me i think it's definitely an article that is worth reading you're going to read a lot of recaps tonight on how deshaun watson played and is he worth that you know monstrous contract but i think that it will really help some of the of you that are sort of dealing or grappling with you know well privilege versus you know those of us who are worried about getting shot on the street um I think it's just really, it was a really revelatory look at what Deshaun Watson's been going through. I mean, if you think that simple success in life should somehow devalue black people's ability to discuss what's going on in the world, well, then you don't understand the problem to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, my friend, it's called soft supremacy. Straight talk wireless, <laughs> no contract, no compromise. Oh, man. It's going to get into it, man. We got so much stuff going on. I'm waiting on the Serena game. I'm all stressed out over here. I see. You're sitting completely in the dark, too. It's sort of creeping me out. bro, you don't know how I deal with Serena. Okay. Cam Newton, coming up. Is he healthy and ready to play ball, but is Boston ready for Cam Newton? Oh. Oh, coming up. I don't know. I mean, this is a discussion we're going to get into. But, I mean, look, the other thing about this that really upsets me, and this is the main thing, is that Deshaun Watson is a good dude, just to get this point out later, is that – you know, to see his family celebrating and to see them, you know, grateful for the money, obviously, but also like the way we got to put our whole dignity on display like that just for a guy to be able to sign a contract that he deserves. I don't know, man. There's something about the way that we have to put ourselves out here so, so much now that's really starting to upset me. Just believe us, y'all. We should not have to drag our aunties and uncles and grandparents out there for y'all to realize that we have families that people care about. Just and we should not have to be policy experts in order to speak out about things in our community either. By the way, we're... we are policy experts. You know why? <laughs> you are. Because the policies were made to hurt us. That's, I mean, you know, that's just what I'm saying. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. The program is presented by Progressive Insurance. My name is Clinton Yates. L. Duncan is over there dancing. All guests on the show appear via <laughs> the Shell Pennzoil performance line. And joining us on said line right now is Howard Bryant, ESPN senior writer. We've got the NFL going right now. Chiefs are up 14-7. We saw all the pregame stuff, Howard. I'm just looking for your initial reacts on where we are with the NFL and social justice. Oh, man, why did you have to go there? I thought you wanted to talk about the Nats. Uh, that's really weird. The World Series <laughs> champion Nats address them your as world, stated, world please, Howard. Nats. Thank you. I, I am. Hey, you know what? Still, still champs until until defeated, right? Now, I was going to say, I, in full disclosure, full disclosure, I was watching Naomi Osaka, 
I have got it on DVR. I'm going to go back and watch the original and watch the video. But I I thought I saw people talking about there being um, that the home team got booed. Eh, um, a little yeah. bit. I mean, it was more of a – they were sort of chalking it up to a crowd coming out situation. Did you see the Dolphins video? Their two-minute soliloquy in the black box theater in their high school. Did you peep that? Because they had a lot to say on that too. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's been real interesting because I have been – Real skeptical of the NFL's participation on this, and I've been waiting to see what was going to be produced because unlike the other sports, I mean, the other sports have been sort of in and out, and they've been some of them have been better than others. But the NFL, as, I, as I've been saying for the past you know, couple of years, and certainly after George Floyd, there is no industry that has been more unambiguous about how it has felt about kneeling, about protest, about player power, about all these things in the NFL. They have made it very clear from the minute Colin Kaepernick took his knee how it, you know, how it felt about this. And so I've been really watching to see what, how they were going to navigate this pivot. And, and especially since they've got fans in, 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 in the stands as well, I'm, I am really taking a wait-and-see approach on them because I don't trust the NFL. I trust the NFL the least of, of all the sports. And so – there's going to be a real interesting navigation that they're going to have to sort of explain over the next couple of weeks. It's interesting you say uh, Howard Bryant navigation because we were just talking a little bit about that in terms of Deshaun Watson and being a black quarterback in the NFL and navigating playing at a high level and also what comes with being a black quarterback in the NFL. We're going to have 10, I believe, 10 black quarterbacks starting uh, mm-hmm. games for their teams this year, which is which is certainly a record. I mean, wh- when when you think about sort of the biggest challenge that faces black quarterbacks um, and the stigma that they face in the NFL, what comes to mind? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is perfection. I mean, I think that when you're, when you're looking at – I mean, it's a golden age, right? I mean, this is – I think so much of it is generational, L as well. If you're of a certain age, you know what a big deal this is because you know that there was an active movement to keep black quarterbacks out of that position. If you're, of a, of, if you're a little bit younger, you, you've seen the position change, and it may not be that big a deal. But the, that face of franchise thing is most important at the quarterback position from a labor standpoint and also now from a social standpoint. And so I, I think that when I think about perfection, I think about – are you, you know, is there is there an avenue for quarterbacks, for black quarterbacks to play the position and have them not be at Hall of Fame level? At the same time, absolutely loving the fact that you've got guys who are playing at that level, whether it's Watson or Mahomes, um, you know, or you go back to Cam Newton's 2015, you know, his MVP season. I, I just think that for me, because I am of that age when you knew that this was this was the coveted position where they didn't want you because you were going to be the face of the franchise and that, that this is the one spot where, you know, you had to be the best of the best of the best or they were going to throw you in the trash. And so I, I think now, based on where we are in this time period, when the players made that video and Roger Goodell had to react to it, I mean, that was really powerful because now you've got the most powerful position. You had Patrick Mahomes and you had Sean Watson getting involved in this. It wasn't a Colin Kaepernick situation where he was coming off an injury and was going to get benched or whatever and wasn't at the, the height of his powers. So the, the position itself, as, as important as it is, it's grown 
exponentially now because of what these guys are going to be able to, um, you know, what they're going to be able to impact because of their because of their position. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. We're joined right now by Howard Bryant, ESPN senior writer. Okay, so look, Howard, you're in the Boston, New England area. Cam going to New England to me is fascinating on a very simple level, which is this question. How black can Cam really be to satisfy what they need out of him in terms of a brother who's really given it all versus, you know, the insubordinate guy with the dreads? I mean, this is a very tricky balance. How do you think this is going to go from a fan standpoint in terms of how he's liked beyond just performance? Well, and it was always going to be tricky because of who you're replacing. So just throw that in there, too. It's like, okay, hey, man, okay, who's going to take over the dynasty? Right. I mean, is that the job you want? That's the worst job in the world. So the question is going to be one. I mean, New England fans are, are spoiled. I think that New England fans, you would think right on its face, on its face, that whoever replaced Tom Brady would kind of get the mulligan. Right. That you can't duplicate what they've done for these last 20 years. We've, even, we've only come close to seeing it once, and that was with the 49ers. So everybody should be chilling, right? Except for the fact that it's Cam. And except for the fact that it's Cam in Boston, knowing what Boston's talk radio is. I don't know, Elle, you might know a little bit about that ah. market, right? <laughs> yeah, <touch>. So <laughs> a tiny bit about, about my hometown. To answer the question, Clinton, I think that um, I, I want to believe that people are going to have tempered expectations in this crazy season, in this COVID season, in this replacing dynasty season. But I think it's only going to be a matter of time before Boston becomes Boston. Boston is always going to Boston. It's just a matter of what the situation is, what the circumstances, and and you know they're not going to go sixteen and zero. So somewhere along the line, we know that that. That, that double entendre is going to come out. We know there's going to be something, and it's just a matter of what and when. Uh, he's Howard Bryan. He's an ESPN senior writer. Get back to the tennis playboy. You know that's what's going on. <laughs> well, Serena, Serena, I was going to say thank you very much because Serena's up right now. Isn't that special? All right, talk that's to you soon, Howard. Bye, HB. Coming up, NBA players are encouraging people to vote, but the number of NBA players that aren't registered to vote is numerous. We'll discuss that with my homie, LZ Granderson. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. To The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. L. Duncan is, of course, my co-host. And all guests on the program appear via the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. Joining us right now on said line is LZ Granderson. You know him from ESPN LA 710, as well as the Los Angeles Times. Lovely city, I hear. Headline... Column, kneeling is not enough. NFL players can show the way by voting. LZ Granderson joins us here on the program. First of all, what's up, LZ? Second of all, I mean, I want to know your reaction to this, just in terms of what the feedback has been, because the take is one that a lot of people understand. However, I think they were surprised by some of those numbers, including those in the NBA, in terms of voter registration being so low. 
Well, first of all, thank both of you for having me on. Al, I think this might be the first time we've officially worked together in some I know. Ooh, From afar, I've been such a fan, too, LZ, so this is, this is big for me. I'm such a fan of yours. I mean, you know, Quentin, he's cool and everything, but yeah, he's I talk to him all the time. Yeah, You know, so I, I was really, um, first of all, it's important to know I wasn't trying to shame anyone. Right. Like, I don't believe that you need to shame voters, whether they be professional athletes or not. It's like voting is a right, but it's not one that needs to be forced upon people. It's one that they choose. But the reason why I thought it was important to talk about the NFL and a little bit about the NBA is because they have been, you know, the lightning rod for this conversation between sports and the social justice movement. I mean, it wasn't too long ago we had NBA players that were looking to shut down the playoffs um, because they didn't feel as if the owners and the leagues were doing enough. And I supported that stoppage of play. But when I found out that, you know, reportedly about 80% of the guys weren't even registered to vote, I was like, what the hell are we doing here? You can't keep asking people to do stuff you aren't willing to do for yourself. And so I wasn't trying to shame as much as just point out the fact that there's a gap in the philosophical approach in terms of what they want to do or see accomplished. And they can easily close that gap simply by registering and participating in the voting process. It's interesting too, LZ, because, you know, reading your article, one of the things that I thought about, and, and after I heard those numbers too, which really – uh, was were bewildering to me out of the NBA uh, was it kind of took me back to 2016 and you probably both remember this well when Colin Kaepernick who sort of was the 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 lead of this who did this who demonstrated during the anthem who started bringing this to our attention admitted that he didn't vote in the uh, in in his local government he didn't vote in his local elections right. or in the national right. election either and I remember people really using that to weaponize him we fast forward four years and now it seems like every single poll tells us that people are widely supporting his effort now and the idea that these NFL players will choose to use their platform in some type of way uh, to protest against social injustice. What do you make of, as we are currently in the middle of the start of the NFL season, some of the early steps that you've seen from the league and how they're approaching uh, the current climate? Well, well, first of all, I think it's important to note that, you know, the players after, you know, that information has come out have been – there's been an aggressive movement by the NBA to get all these people registered, to get all these players registered. And I, I applaud after a problem has been identified that they went about trying to correct the problem. I also know that there are a number of NFL teams um, that, you know, leaderships that I've spoken to who have aggressively gone out to try to make sure that their NFL players were registered. And they were shocked and expressed to me privately as shocked at how many of their veterans not even just the young guys, but their veterans, uh, some of whom have been vocal, who weren't registered to vote. And so when you when you think about that, you know, you got to ask yourself a, a number of things. One, you know, is this simply about, you know, being lazy or is this a or is this some sort of statement that was being made or were they truly disenfranchised? And if it's the latter, right, meaning they truly felt disenfranchised. What does this say about this nation and what does it say about our democratic process that you can have millionaires um, who still come from the same sort of environments that many minorities come from, and yet the money and the access to resources still doesn't make them feel part of something, that they still feel disenfranchised? That's something that the country still needs to consider 
as we can have this sort of countrywide reconciliation in terms of, of race and, um, you know, our, our past. And to and more specifically to your question, Al, you know, I, I have to tell you, I've been really, really encouraged by what I've seen from all of the leagues um, in terms of not just public statement, but dedicated resources to getting people to vote, whether you're using your empty stadiums as polling stations, whether you're using your staff and have them being paid to volunteer as poll workers, whether you're making sure that there's information for your non-athletes who are working in the building to be better informed. I think this summer um, has been really, really encouraging for those of us who've been operating this space for a long time because usually it's about individual athletes making a stand, and now you're seeing leagues and sponsors joining in. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. LZ Granderson of ESPN 710 LA and, of course, LA Times columnist joins us here on The Intersection, ESPN Radio. He's brought to us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. LZ, though, here's the thing, is that voting is a very specific individual act. And I happen to think that a lot of times we get a little too caught up in what one human is doing as a voter or not, potentially, as if that is somehow going to completely change all of the things that happen and as if they cannot all happen in the same space. And so while I think voting is important, I think it's as important for the NFL and the NBA to simply let their players and their populace demonstrate the way that they want. That seems to be the easiest thing for the NFL here to do is just back off. You know, it seems like so many teams are getting hyper involved in everything that each player does or everything their team does. When it just doesn't seem necessary, you can simply back away and hello, let people express themselves because this is the United States of America. Well, I, I agree with you that I don't believe that one expression of patriotism is more significant than another. And whether it's voting, whether it's protesting, whether it's not protesting, whether it's not voting. Those are all well covered by U.S. Constitution. So I agree with you in, uh, with, when it comes to that. Um, I will say, though, that there comes a point in which demonstrations need to be supported by legislative action. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you want significant change, um, some of that has to do with elections. Not all, but some of it, you know, whether it's who you're electing for your district attorney or attorney general, be it in the state or the country, uh, your Senate representation, obviously president of the United States. But then, you know, to Elle's point, if you think about 2016, there were actual bills on the ballot in California where Kaepernick was that dealt specifically with criminal justice reform, which was the heart of his issue. So you would think that if you want to see criminal justice reform be taken seriously when it's up for a vote, you have to be there to vote for it. Otherwise, what are we doing here? You know, it's really hard for me to stand behind someone who talks about what's wrong with the system and, you know, not use every avenue that's available to them to, to you know, impact change. And so, again, I don't know if Kaepernick or the other players that I, we've talked about didn't register to vote because they felt disenfranchised or they just didn't care or didn't think that vote count. Um, that's a separate conversation. But certainly now in 2020, after everything that's happened, you know, from the protests that I've been covering and you know, obviously you guys have been bear witness to, to, you know, what's happening on the political stage in terms of the rhetoric as well as policies that many of us deem as racist. You know, this is not the year for you to say your vote doesn't count. <laughs> it just isn't. 
LZ Granderson, that's his name. He's a columnist at the LA Times. He's also on ESPN 710 with my man George Sedano, so check them out if you're on the West Coast. And as I say always, he's got great-looking hair. LZ, thank yeah, you for Yeah, he does. Me. He does. Thank you. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> all right. Appreciate it. You know, so he used that word disenfranchised, and I used the word disillusioned earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to understand that there's a difference. Just because somebody didn't steal your mailbox or decide to close down your polling place doesn't mean that the disillusion element about what the voting process means is not still very much there, even after having had a black president out. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the black president. I'm not going to sit up here and just regurgitate everything they said at the Democratic National Convention. <laughs> but I did think it was impactful what he said when he talked about all these generations and how you know they had every reason to feel disillusioned and to feel like they lived in a country that didn't care about them or love them. And I watched my parents who, you know, experienced some of the atrocities of the civil rights movement and certainly their parents and their parents before that. My grandfather, I didn't realize this until after he died, got into Notre Dame uh, because William Duncan sounded like a Scottish dude. And then when they realized he was black, they told him he couldn't come. So he joined the Navy. And so if they found a way to still embolden themselves and empower themselves to think that they could create change through the vote, then we certainly have to feel the exact same way. I just thought that was a really significant part about what he said. And reminder, you're listening to a human that is born and raised in the capital of the United States of America where Mm -hmm. we still do not have representation in the national body. So do not come at me with what voting means on a larger level when some people who live in the DAG on District of Columbia can't even vote. Mm-hmm. for somebody to represent us. So that's what I'm saying here. Understand that disillusionment is larger than just disenfranchisement on some level when it comes to the internal psyche of why we do things and why we don't do things.